Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly, and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very interesting story, a story of a founder that is a founder, you know, basically where everything started in Europe, in Germany. And I think it's going to be very interesting to hear his story going from consulting to really building his own business and something that has been ramping up very, very quickly. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Jens Walter. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alexander. Thanks for having me. So, so originally born and raised in Berlin, and it was in, in that Berlin where the wall was still separating the East from the West. So how was growing up in that type of environment? That's right. That's right. I, I was actually 12 when the wall came down. So the first couple of years, um, I still remember being isolated in the Western part, actually, of Berlin, like the free part um, of Berlin. Uh, we live, I lived cl quite close to the border, so I could still remember. I can still remember hearing the dogs barking, um, even the, the one or the other shooting at the border. Um, and then I still remember when there was vacation time uh, for a West Berlin child, it was quite difficult to get to the western side of uh, Germany because you had to transit through the communism part of, um, of East Germany. Um, and that was always quite a, quite a pain uh, with a lot of struggle um, and hurdles being put in place. Um, not easy to, um, to deal with as a, as a little kid. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I, I remember when I visited uh, Berlin and I and I actually went to the Checkpoint Charlie Museum. I mean, you would see people coming up with like crazy things to go through the river, to go from one side to the other without being noticed. So a lot of people struggling on the on the communist side, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, but I guess in your case, you know, you were fortunate enough to have a father that was an entrepreneur. So you you learned the ropes, you know, very early on. He had a moving company. So I guess when you were seeing that and growing up with him being a founder, I mean, what, what were you seeing? And, and was that, you know, the point where you told yourself that one day you would also have your own company? I don't know exactly when this, this point was reached, but certainly it was influential um, and maybe the deciding uh, factor to see um, that he was um, like a, just a, a self-made man. And um, he hadn't, he couldn't, didn't need to follow anyone else, um, any, anybody else's advice. Um, um, I didn't see him often uh, because he went out of the uh, house uh, earliest in the morning, came back late. Um, uh, he worked uh, extremely hard. So from that perspective, I could have thought that's not my thing, but it, uh, this, this didn't. I, did, I wasn't triggered by these thoughts. Um, I was proud. I was proud to see what he built. I was proud to see when I saw those uh, 
Voltorf um, moving uh, cars um, uh, on Berlin streets with with our name on. Um, I was proud to be picked up in one of those uh, moving trucks and being delivered to school in the morning. Like that was all all big fun, and um, probably that was the decisive factor um, um, somewhere um, embedded in me, um, so that I started later on. So what about en- engineering? Because you went to study engineering and. And you were definitely one of the first in the family to follow that type of course. Yeah, I was the first with uh, any academic uh, with a f- academic background. There was a uh, like higher degree of school and university and PhD that was quite unique. Nobody else in the family did this. I don't know why what what drove me there, um, um, but I felt comfortable on that street, and I, I knew I'm not built for a um, scientific career. I never wanted to like stay in um, in, in in science or at university or so. Um, but I, I had interest to understand um, technology. Um, I was running for a PhD in um, computer science. I did a thesis at the MIT on uh, root choice behavior and telematics. So I was always interested in those interfaces or in intersections between technology and uh, and business. And that uh, kind of drove me. Um, that also made me then starting my career with Boston Consulting afterwards, after the PhD, and then finally ending up as, where I wanted to be um, the entrepreneur and uh, founder of Black Lane. So let's talk about Black Lane because Black Lane was the product of uh, being in consulting, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, some of the best entrepreneurs that, that I've met in my life, you know, they have a consulting background. And I think that that training to really be able to grab a really big problem and break it down into really small problems that you know, then you're tackling, I think that it gives you, you know, that, that, that perspective to really understand how you go about execution. So, I mean, how do you think that that background from being a consultant has helped you you know, on your entrepreneurial journey? I think it was instrumental. Um, what you learn with uh, consulting is um, um, that you think out, outside the box, that you are solution-oriented, um, that you are not afraid of tackling big issues and big problems. Also that um, you are not distracted by, um, by people saying, uh, this is not going to work, or we've, all, we've tried this already and failed, it's not going to work. Like you, you are hearing this all the time also during your consulting career. Um, so uh, you get used to it, that, um, um, that there are ways around it and that there, that there is a lot of value in trying things out and be experimental. And, um, and then, of course, you learn the tools of how you strategize, um, how you build business plans, how you make your mind through, um, through those problems. Um, and probably also the presentation skills at the end of the day when you are then ending up um, in a pitch um, um, uh, on the other side um, of the table from an investor. Um, being grilled by uh, difficult questions. That's normal life as a consultant. 100%. So then let's talk about incubating Blackling. You know, let's talk about like you coming up with the idea with your co-founder, meeting your co-founder and, and bringing this to life. Yeah. Indeed, as you said earlier, like I, I, I was the use case, right? Traveling um, the globe all the time and being kind of uh, sometimes lucky that the first or last mile worked, but often enough not lucky that it didn't work out. Um, and I was wondering why this is so difficult um, and uh, and um, why there are so many great um, little chauffeur companies out there, but um, they struggle in uh, with, with filling up their capacities. They struggle with finding new customers, um, especially they, there's no global footprint for those. And um, so there was a lot of opportunity um, and uh, and and uh, what actually the the main thing that drove us was that we um, we I, I met my co-founder at university times during my PhD thesis um, in uh, Technical University Berlin, um, and uh, and we figured that um, it's great fun to work with each other, the two of us, 
um, and uh, we are quite successful in uh, in doing things together. But um, the infrastructure and the surrounding was never um, satisfying for us. Like we felt there is not the the, the people are not treating the infrastructure well. Um, they do not respect each other all the time. Um, there is like um, not this beautiful workplace that you would color if you uh, if you just follow your dreams right if you enter a door to an office um, you you have your picture of how a perfect um, office location or organization would look like and we never found this in other companies so that was actually the main driver that we wanted to build something where people enter the door in the morning um, or nowadays open their laptops in their home office and feel comfortable with it and feel that they um, can be their authentic self and that they can bring all their um, um, power and performance to the table um, by treating each other with respect and uh, and 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 care um, and that was the main driver um, uh, more the cultural driver behind this plus than the product itself that was the transportation part so then tell us for the people that are listening what ended up being the business model of black lane so that they understand it Blackland is a two-sided marketplace, um, a highly vetted marketplace, though on the on the supply side, um, we offer uh, ground transportation for the for 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 the first and the last mile of global travel. Um, you call it uh, you can call it uh, black car services, chauffeur services, limousine services um, in, in the US, um, and um, and it's it's been available on a global basis. So what we do is we aggregate high quality content on the one side, making sure that they are uh, um, uh, fitting to our high standards. That everything feels and smells and tastes almost like Blackland, no matter where you bought a car. Um, um, highly educated professional chauffeurs, and then on the other side, we offer it to individual customers, to corporate customers like the consulting firms of the world, but also to airlines like Emirates is a big example, um, or cruise cruise lines or hotel chains, uh, travel agencies. So we are bringing both together. Um, and making sure that uh, that the quality is always right. We engage very deeply in the service experience, um, so in every single uh, detail of it, um, and that differentiates us. Um, we are focusing a lot on long distance, city to city. Think of a New York to Philadelphia or a um, London to Manchester, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. This is our sweet spot. You spend almost an hour in a, in a black lane on average, and, um, and we do it in over 50 countries, uh, several hundreds of cities worldwide. So building a marketplace is a beast. You know, you got the supply, the demand, you know, finding the liquidity, you know, that good networking effect to to happen. I mean, in this case for you guys, as you were, and it's like building two companies at the same time. So as you were thinking about building Blacklane, I mean, how were you looking at really getting that marketplace to work in the right direction? And, and how did you see like which one was the weakest side of the equation and how you could really ramp that up so that everything would function as a whole? Yeah, you are right. That's the chicken-egg problem, right? What do you start with first? Um, uh, my learning was that uh, demand uh, drives um, the entire equation. Um, what you need to have in place is you have to have a good relationship with supply. You have to have identified the supply first. Um, now, when we started in Berlin first, um, I, I knew that the telephone numbers of a handful of chauffeur services in the city. Um, but then we switched on uh, Google AdWords and waited for the telephone to ring. And um, and indeed it happened and customers called and wanted to have transportation. There was not a lot of apps and websites built yet at that point in time. So I just then called our supply and asked, like, is somebody available right now? Uh, when we started, we often had to pay more to the supply than we got from the customer um, just to make it work. Um, because only with economies of scale over time, you get the, also the financials, right? 
and uh, and and that's the starting point. Now, if you are a known name in the earliest days, um, especially in an industry that is full of black sheep, um, uh, th this is a difficult starting point. People are not trusting you. People are not believing in your business model. So there's a lot of talking, a lot of convincing, a lot of um, countless physical meetings, uh, trying to explain the model and trying to be authentic and trustful and making um, yeah and and showing um, how serious you mean it and that they can trust in you. Um, and then it uh, and that was the starting point. Um, later then, later then, after first first successes, of course, the applications of supply came in, and that was much easier. Nowadays, it's much easier to open up a new city. So, I mean, obviously, to to build a company like this, it requires a lot of money. So, especially to get those networking effects to go in the right direction. So. So how much capital have you guys raised today, Jens? It's not that like compared to um, crazy ride-hailing industry or so, it's um, nothing comparable. Like Because we always build a very um, healthy um, business model, very healthy unit economics. Our average ticket size is three digits, right, for a single ride. So that gives you a sense of like how long our rides are. You pay over $100, $150 for a black lane ride on average, um, yeah. going 30, 40 miles. Um, uh, we are having a solid margin of of um, 30-ish, 20%, 30%, depending on the markets and the situations. Um, so therefore, um, uh, we we never needed um, billions uh, of, of money like others others did. Um, uh, it's not that public how much we've raised, but it's uh, it's in the ballpark of a high double-digit million to a small uh, three-digit million um, dollar ballpark. And that brought us here. Uh, and, uh, and we are quite on a good track. Um, even after COVID-19, uh, we are financially extremely stable. That differentiates us from most of our competitors. And uh, and the market is now there and available and uh, and just just needs to be grabbed. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen online that you guys have raised, uh, you know, closer to 100 million. So um, I know that you good guys research. are not disclosing, but that's, uh, that's at least what the web is saying. But but in this case, uh, I guess uh, as, as you were thinking about raising money, and raising money for such a tough business, I'm sure that you were also looking for for good partners that could add something more than money. So, especially with that strategic approach and 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 that background that you guys had from consulting, you knew how important as well was the people that were giving you the money. So, how were you thinking about that? Absolutely, you're absolutely right. And um, so we we were looking for like strategic partner that could add a lot of value to um to our business. And actually, we found um, a couple a uh, couple of them. Um, such as from automotive um, or also very strong family business. We are having investors from the Middle East um, that are very knowledgeable about this region. We are having investors from, from the Asian side um, um, that uh, helped us to uh, get on track in, 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 in that region of the world. So geographically, but also from an industry standpoint, we made sure that we have a good balance and a good portfolio of, um, of investors, shareholders on board. Um, Funny enough, interestingly, we never had a U.S. investor on board, even though U.S. is by far our largest market. Um, it was 30% 30, 30 before COVID. As it recovers much faster than the rest of the world right now, it will be way beyond 50% right now. And, and as you were thinking about, for example, like, like racing and deploying, I mean, how, how does it typically work when, when you're raising money and when you're thinking about use of proceeds for like a marketplace of this nature? Well, the main, the main use of proceeds is obviously in, on technology, on IP, and you creating this marketplace, developing it, um, evolving it. There's so much more we can do. Um, we have built um, also new products over the course of the last uh, 18 months, uh, focusing a lot of, um, of intercity transfers now, um, um, long, long distance rides. 
um, but also sh what we call chauffeur hailing that's inner city on demand services with our premium service, premium cars and, and professional chauffeurs. But everything of this lives and dies with uh, the tech side of things. So um, the vast majority of our um, investment um, has flown and will flow into, um, into the product. And in, in your guys' case, I mean, you've had, you've had multiple rounds of financing. And how have the expectations really, you know, changed as you were going from one cycle to another? And especially with, with European investors where typically they're more like revenue, you know, oriented versus like growth oriented, what you would see here in the U.S. So how has been that experience for you guys going from one cycle to another? That's right. So like the, I would say like two components there. Like on the, f the first one is um, um, the first couple of years, uh, we were um, um, uh, asked a lot about uh, com competition from the US. Um, the obvious questions, uh, what uh, is Uber going to do? Um, how are you differentiating from, the, from them? Um, that became more silent over the years and we became more and more clear how we differentiate and um, also that we are um, not directly complete, competing in, in our space with each other. Um, and then on the other component is exactly what you mentioned, European investors, but also maybe European um, uh, DNA is to be a little bit more careful, um, on, more on the profitability side, more on the healthier b b business model and unit economics side. Um, and that is indeed a bit our DNA. We always, uh, from the very first day, looked at um, that our business model is going to function and that this business model is going to earn money at some point in the future. Um, we never just grew for the sake of growing and no matter what, uh, but only where, and, uh, where, where it made sense um, uh, for, a, for a more successful, also economically more successful future. So then, so then in this case, for you guys too, to really understand, you know, and for the people that are, you know, tuning in, how big is Black Lane today? Anything that you could disclose on number of employees or anything else? Yeah. Well, there is like um, um, a bit of like, uh, quite, it was quite a significant change um, just recently, right? Obviously on the revenue side. Um, so pre-COVID pre um, uh, 2019, uh, we closed the year with uh, um, a good 100 million euros, um, so 120 plus million dollars um, in, in in revenue. Roughly 400 people working from from Berlin, but also from Los Angeles and and Brisbane, Dubai, Singapore, um, a bit of Spain, Italy, uh, and London. Um, but we were present, like in uh, and are present in um, uh, hundreds of cities and and 50 countries with our services. We were growing. 60 to 100 percent year over year even though we were not pushing everything on growth um, but still like it was a successful business we grew quite uh, quite fast but but um, what i would call healthy growth um, then of course COVID hit um, um, in april 2020 we lost 99 percent of revenue in a month um, wow. within actually within three weeks from over 10 million per month to a hundred thousand Wow. Um, because being solely dependent on um, um, airport transfers, that was indeed our um, our main focus and main product offering. And being focused on business traveling was um, just not the best idea for a pandemic um, period. Um, so it, we basically stopped the entire business. And that also made us think um, and also um, start, we started to uh, differentiate in our product and um, uh, diversify our product in terms of um, this long distance, what I just mentioned, but also the uh, chauffeur hailing and the local on-demand service. You know, it's interesting that you 
touch on this because, you know, as they say, entrepreneurship is not a it's not a straight line. You know, you got the ups, you got the downs. You know, every massive company has had a few times of near-death experiences. You know, I'm sure that seeing revenues going from 10 million to 100,000 just literally overnight, I'm sure you didn't sleep well that night. And uh, I'm sure that there was like all types of thoughts coming through your head. So, so would it be possible to kind of like make us insider to really understand what goes through your mind? And then also, how do you deal with whatever is in front of you as a leader? Yeah. Well, indeed, um, um, not much sleep, um, um, and nobody would have expected this. Um, so it was quite, well, quite a, quite a hit overnight. Um, first thing I thought was um, about like, look, you are responsible for quite, um, quite a large group of uh, people, right? You have like four hundred blackliners in the company, plus their families and children and whatnot. That's uh, over a thousand people. Then you have twenty, twenty-five thousand chauffeurs out there on the street. They are not um, your direct employees but they are quite close partners that uh, you also feel responsible for so all you think about uh, in the first days is um, to make sure that they are all safe um, and that their health is uh, secured so you are basically thinking about like how fast can i bring all my people um, into home offices away from uh, from the streets and um, that's especially difficult for operational units like customer care units and so on um, uh, plus, how can we uh, increase our um, our health and safety standards so that our chauffeurs, but also our guests, are safe when they travel with Blackland? Um, that was the first um, the first big step uh, for us um, um, to to deliver on. The second thing was then, of course, the uh, financial stability. Um, luckily, uh, we have a good base of shareholders. We have also a large um, automotive being part of our shareholder base, Daimler plus a lot of um, uh, good good family offices and just strong shareholders from around the world. They trusted in uh, us and um, uh, we're we continued to be, uh, okay, and continued be, to be big supporters. Um, and, um, and thanks to this, um, plus um, a rigid cost controlling, but without a single layoff. Um, that's very important for me to mention. I think we are probably one of the only companies in the travel space at least the only one that I know that didn't lay off people during the period of um, of COVID, without um, laying off people, but also with playing with uh, playing with governmental um, aid programs um, and and jobkeeper programs, we were able to reduce our cost base by um, roughly sixty percent um, um, without any revenue. Um, so that was also um, quite successful. And then the third thing was looking forward and using this as an opportunity. There are some interesting sayings out there. Ayaten Zena, um, the Formula One, ex-Formula One champion, um, who unfortunately died, um, said, yeah, you can't take over 10 cars in sunny weather, but when it rains, um, or you um, uh, you are not becoming a skilled sailor in calm sea, and all those sorts of things, they are so right. Um, so what do you do in those periods of time when you are standing still? Use it as a pit stop, um, where you can really finally change the engine of the car and the tires and really... Uh, redoing everything and uh, innovate in, in terms of new products. Uh, so that was then the first, uh, the third, the third pillar. After the safety, after the financial stability, the third pillar was then the um, diversification of our portfolio. So that this will, would never happen again. That you are so dependent on one business stream. So, so then in your case and and how things evolved. I mean, obviously, I'm sure that the vision, you know, has changed a bit. You know, from when you guys started to where you're now. So if you had to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Black Lane is fully realized, what does that world look like? 
Look, what Blackland is very good in is taking a very fragmented, offline, very difficult, nitty-gritty um, um, piece of business and cleaning it up and um, um, putting a brand umbrella and a service promise umbrella over it um, um, so that people can rely on. And in, if you think about travel, there are a lot of these little components, especially those interfaces between um, different modes of transportation that um, are still big stress makers nowadays. Um, uh, booking and uh, booking a flight and being on a plane is easy. Booking a hotel and being and uh, and checking in into a hotel is easy. But the interfaces between all those modes is difficult. The street transportation is difficult. But I think we are about to check that box. Um, the airport experience is difficult. Think about how you navigate through an airport, especially post COVID, when people are more cons concerned and uh, and afraid of crowds and uh, um, um, and want to be channeled through fast tracks even more so than in the past or you want to help them with uh, immigration and visa application or with porter services or they're in a foreign destination and you want to provide some some insights uh, into into the city um, and now you know berlin um, uh, quite well uh, but imagine you wouldn't and you come to the city and would like to know what the best restaurants are what the best nightclubs are um, now as 90 grad is gone um, <laughs> Uh, and this is what we like, we want to be as a resource, right? We are having yeah. uh, 20,000, 30,000 chauffeurs on the street. They are so knowledgeable and our extended arms to really serve our people, our guests. And there's so much more we could achieve. So, you know, one question that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, imagine if I put you into a time machine and I'm able to bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about leaving the Boston Consulting Group and beginning your days as an entrepreneur, if you could go back in time and have a chat with that younger Jens and, um, and give that younger Jens that is just, you know, wondering how world would look like, you know, if he could bring a solution to that problem that he was, you know, thinking, what would that be what that one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self before launching a company and why, given what you know now? If it's only one piece of advice I'm allowed to give, then uh, that would be um, probably that I, I, I waited too long to jump into this. Um, if I could start again, I would start earlier. The earlier, the better, actually. Um, the earlier you can learn um, to, to fall and stand up and learn your lessons, um, um, the, the, the faster you become, uh, the, the bigger you go. Um, and, um, and now I'm in my mid-40s. Um, if I would have started like uh, not with 35, but maybe with 30, um, I would already be so much further um, um, with uh, building Blackline. Other advices are look like there's so much um, ups and downs, as you mentioned earlier. There's so much also no, not so romantic parts of being an entrepreneur. It's also same as with, uh, with family and kids, right? It's not just great. A lot of, uh, there's a lot of responsibility coming with it and not only romantic. That's something that I, I was not used to, right? You are building, you're growing up a bit in a bubble um, um, when you are um, in a, on an academic um, track, uh, when you are with a strategy consulting, um, like everything is friendly and nice. Now, the chauffeur industry is certainly um, a difficult one, not the easiest. Um, and, and just being an entrepreneur yourself, uh, you're, you learn also to deal with a lot of disappointments. Um, also, you, you get to learn people um, that, you, that, you that you trust um, but uh, that you shouldn't trust. Um, uh, these sort of things are just happening um, in, uh, in, 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 in such an environment. Um, and that is something that you were not used to and that you were not educated for. So that was, would be something that I would give as an advice to 
watch out for those things and expect things to um, to not just go straight. And, um, and and one more thing there is in terms of, you know, because I'm sure that for you, you know, you've, you've had to read a little bit, you know, to really, you know, learn the ropes, you know, and really learn, you know, like how to build and scale companies. So in that journey of, of, of growth, uh, you know, more on the dogmatic side, what would you say has been a book that you wish you would have read it earlier? I, I'm, I'm one of the books I, 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 I enjoyed recently was actually cultural, cultural, culture map. That's one that deals with uh, with all the cultural differences. And if you're building a global company and we are having a company of 400 people from almost 80 nationalities, um, quite distributed around the world, you're having quite a um, melting pot of different cultures and backgrounds and expectations and behaviors and so on. And understanding this and, and uh, working this uh, uh, through um, so that you are building a company uh, under, under, under the roof of Blacklane to show how a global company or a world of different um, cultures can work hand in hand um, is something I'm quite excited about um, to see. And that book helped me a lot um, um, and, and similar books around the same topic. Nice. So, uh, James, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? The safest thing, I think, is uh, the easiest is LinkedIn. Everything is on there. Um, just send me a message and I'm happy to get back to you. Amazing. Well, Jens, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Alessandro, thanks a lot too. Have a good day. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.